Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. I had everyone else do a signature spell book for me. I just had everybody do my work for me. <laughs> oh, my God. Except for record because I got to put my name on it. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. I saw somebody rob an Apple store today, Joey. Oh? Yeah, they said I was an eyewitness. That's one of the best dad jokes that you've told, I am floored. You're welcome. All, all must revere Mr. Morgan. I actually really like that one and may end up stealing it from you. <laughs> Do that it. was delightful. Do it. I didn't actually see a robbery, though, just just so you all know. Like, right. For the sake of, for the sake of hu- humor, that, that, that was just made up. Delightful joke. I love it. Alrighty, next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins. It's Dana Roach. I was sure there was going to be some kind of a core reference in that Apple joke, but he didn't go there. He actually made another good dad joke. You're really impressive, Matt. <laughs> I'm on fire. Yeah, you are getting better every week. NBA Jam would say I'm heating up and soon to be on fire. Oh my goodness. And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, we're going to give that data a little more context. What's our topic this week, fellas? It's our one-year anniversary! We've been dating for a year. Yeah, we've been podcasting for a year, and in honor of that, we wanted to do something, a topic that's maybe a little self-indulgent, but that kind of should better announce our personalities and the way that we look at the game. What is it that we're doing? We're going to do our own signature spell books. Yeah, this was really fun. I kind of mentioned it as almost like a throwaway joke after we were discussing, you know, in the moments after we recorded our last podcast. But you guys really liked the idea designing our own signature spellbooks that if we had a signature spellbook like Signature Spellbook Jace or something, what the cards in our personal version of that product would be. Those products featuring eight different cards that are signature to that particular lore character, one of which is foil. And in the product, it's foil at random, but for us, we also wanted to highlight one specific card that we think really sums up our playstyle or the way that, you know, we approach the game, things like that. And we hoped that it would be a nice way to get to know us a little bit better, the folks who've been doing this podcast for, I can't even believe it's been a year. 
I mean, I was mostly just being lazy because mine's just going to be power nine minus one. <laughs> All right, that's funny. But well, actually, that begs the question, how did you guys go about designing your specific spellbook list? Um, I, I know you had something much more like as a cohesive theme, Joey. Myself, I just picked cards that in some way, shape, or form represented how I play or how I write articles or how I podcast or how I think. And they were all ones I actually do play as well. So that was just kind of my thought process or ones that jumped out at me as things that I think represent some part of myself as a commander player. Yeah. And that's a really great take on it. I think another take on it could easily be here's, you know, one, my favorite card from each of my decks, for example, that could easily be a way to go about this as well. The particular take that I decided to go with when arranging my quote signature spell book uh, was that I wanted it to tell the story of how I've been playing magic, how I first got involved in playing it, the cards that I think, you know, are characteristic of the different time periods that I've played. Basically, these are the eight different eras of you know, my magic career, if that makes any sense. Uh, Matt, how about you? What was your particular dynamic when you were concocting your own list? So I tried to pick a card or two from every stage of my magic career uh, when I was more okay. of a casual player and tried, kind of like what you alluded to, tell a story of, of how I like to play the game. I reached out to a couple buddies, uh, fellow EDH rec writer, Andrew Cummings. He's my best friend for half my life. And so he got me back into the game. So I reached out to him and said, okay, of all the games that we've played together, the, the countless, what are some cards? I reached out to some buddies that I used to play uh, Legacy and Modern with and asked them to kind of get some feedback. So mine won't be exclusively Commander cards, but a lot of them you can play in Commander. And and one we'll get into a little bit later. It's a little contentious, if you will. <laughs> But that's also, I actually really like that where you asked other folks for advice. I mean, that can be a really great thing when you're deck building, but it's also a great idea. Like if I were to ask my friends what they think my signature spell book would be, it's probably going to look a whole lot different than what I think my signature spell book should be. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, other people's opinion of you definitely, it, it's more reflective than you, you would think it is. <laughs> yeah, especially if you think that, oh, yeah, I'm the Ur-Dragon. They're like, um, no, you're like a dragon hatchling. You know, that can be a pretty revelatory. Mm, you're you're laughless. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. That's kind, but also not kind of you. I love your compliments being backhanded. It's pretty wonderful. I, I, I would have gone with Ogre Slumlord myself, but. <laughs> hey, hey now. <laughs> All right, before we actually get started with the topic properly, Matt, as I understand it, you've been making some adjustments to your decks, and as we know from one of our previous episodes, that doesn't happen very often. So do you want to share with the group? I do. So of all my decks, I believe I went through seven different decks, and I changed 41 cards out. So Oof. I did a little bit of effort, uh, well, not effort, homework, I should say. Uh, from our last episode, so I changed up my Miri deck. I did take out Ground Seal. I found a uh, found a rest in peace, just chilling, hanging out. So I swapped that. It was an easy swap. But then I just went through a lot of decks. I actually found an old Shu Yun Tokens deck that I kind of forgot I had, and I changed six or seven cards in, in that. And the funny part is, uh, one of our newer writers, I, I told everybody, uh, I was like, oh, I, I found this Shu Yun deck that I forgot I had. It had a Tundra in it, but I had no idea. Oh. So really, I found $300. Wow. But yeah, so it was it was really fun kind of going through and reassessing everything. Um, a big core of what I changed out is actually from Moldrotha because I finished up the, the swap from Combo Central to the plus one, plus one counters themes. Uh, but I also updated Valduk. I updated, get this, 
Omnath, changed out four <gasps> whole cards. Wow. I know. I, well, I put in stuff like Piers Whim, stuff that I should have put in a long time ago. And I've just been on that quest, lowering my curve. I took out stuff like Hornet Queen and Horde Smelter Dragon and got much, much lower to the ground now. So that, that hopefully will feel good. Yeah. And just, I updated pretty much every deck that I own. Yeah. I think that just goes to show, I mean, you mentioned on that previous episode that it can be, sometimes you'll go six months without actually, like, tinkering your decks. Like, it can be a pretty slow process for you. But you mentioned across seven decks you're changing 40 cards. I mean, heck, of all the cards in a commander deck, they're probably considering lands. You know, only room for, like, 60, a little over 60 non-land cards. So you, like, changed out nearly an entire Almost an entire deck, deck's yeah. worth. Yeah, of cards across your decks. Like, that just kind of goes to show all of the awesome improvements that they make from set to set where we can tune up and tinker each of our decks. Definitely, yeah. And I still actually have five cards that I want to make room for. I don't know if I'll be able to. What do you, Actually, you guys might be able to help me out. So Heightened Awareness, it's an enchantment back from Prophecy Days. It's three blue-blue, and it says when it enters the battlefield, discard your hand. At the beginning of your draw step, draw a card. So basically, you, just, you howling mine for yourself. Hmm. What do you guys think in a Niv-Mizzet deck? In a Niv-Mizzet deck? Either Niv, I, either Niv-Mizzet, because that, that deck reloads so, so fast. Or, I was thinking about it for Shu Yun as well, because I get a lot of prowess triggers, and it's a spell slinger, like, murmuring mystic type deck. So I want to make it work, but I, like, I, I really like the card, and it's been really interesting, but I can't find room for it. I mean, the, big, I don't know. the biggest problem it would have, I would say, is because Honden of the Seeing Wind has the exact same CMC. It's four and a blue, and it just lets you draw a card That's without having true. to discard anything. That is true. Yeah, I'm I'm going to have to side with Dana there. I thought that you were maybe going for some graveyard interactions, like with your Moltrotha, but if we're just looking for means of drawing cards, I'm not there for a five-mana Phyrexian Arena that costs a hand discard in a regular deck that's not going to make use of all that graveyard stuff. Yeah, now that you bring up Hondens, I and I should have thought of that because ha- like tribal Hondens, whenever I play Mental Magic, is my go-to. <laughs> mental Magic. That's a whole new format. Tribal, I think we're straying off track Tribal Hondens. So yeah, I, I feel really dumb that I didn't think of that already. Yeah, all right. Uh, good, good talk, though. That is a really interesting card, and maybe there are applications for it, but I think maybe on the graveyard side. Okay, anything else to mention before we get started? Any other deck tune-ups? Dana, anything from your end? Any fun new games? Or should we jump straight into the show topic? I did fire up my, um, finally, after spending like three or four months trying to get it to work digitally, I was happy enough with my Crash to Bloodbreaded deck to put it together. That's a, basically a fling-based deck that I was pretty happy with my first couple of games with it going around. I like that I don't care about combat damage at all. Um, so it's not a combo deck, but I'm doing damage just outside the attack step. I mean, I have that as an option if I need to, but that was a lot of fun playing a deck where I just don't care about swinging, but I'm still kind of doing creature things that you would be doing if you were swinging. So I've enjoyed that deck the first, at least the first like three or four games. Well, and you guys were talking about it on your other podcast a little bit, weren't you? A couple weeks ago? I was, ago? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the yeah, other podcast. Yes. Well, now that you've played a few games, I'm sure that you'll be tinkering a bunch of cards, which means that, I mean, you're going to end up tinkering just as many cards as Matt just tinkered, but he's got like six months of waiting on that, and you've got just like six games of waiting on that. So again, goes to show our different personalities, I think. Yeah, I think the first week I did a six or seven card swap on the deck after the first week. <laughs> See, Matt, that's how you do it. Mm. 
Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, since, as we can see, we've got quite a lot of disparate, you know, pieces to our personality, I think it's time that we get into our particular signature spellbooks. Matt, do you mind starting us off with your number eight, the first card in your signature spellbook that you think tells the story of Matt? So the card that first pulled me back into the game, right around Theros time, I, I opened up a Fleece Mane Lion at the Theros pre-release, and I thought it was super cool because it's a 3-3 three, three for 2 mana. But it was what I did with that and Witch Stalker that just made me happy in that good, deep, warm place in your heart. Uh, Unflinching Courage is, is my Ooh. first card. Uh, so it is one green-white for an aura that gives target creature plus 2, plus 2, trample, and lifelink. And back in those days, it was it was in my... Nobody plays answers. Everybody just kind of plays their things. And if somebody plays an artifact, it may as well just stay there forever because 60 card casual. So <laughs> Andrew Cummings, who we just talked about, he played burn all the time. Well, I played Witch Stalker and put Unflinching Courage on it, and he never could beat it. And so I've always had just a, a spot in my heart for Voltron decks, souping, you know, one big dude up and just going to town, but trample and lifelink and making a creature bigger. Those are just one of my favorite things to do. So Unflinching Courage, as far as me getting back into magic, that is, that's one of the cards that I just, I love to death. That's a really nice one. And it's pretty distinct from the card Armadillo Cloak that inspired it, because Armadillo Cloak does basically the same thing, but it gives a triggered ability version it of does. lifelink instead of proper lifelink. So Armadillo Cloak could actually be put onto an opponent's creature, and whenever they try to hit you with it, you'd actually be taking that much damage, but then actually gaining the life back. And then the unflinching courage is sort of the fixed version of it, where it's like, no, you should definitely be putting this on your creature. Don't try to be tricky. Be Celesnia. And they do stack, which is nice in an Enchantress deck as well. Oh, that's also true. Yeah, you don't have to worry about one or the other because pull the Joey and whatever it is in Spanish, but why not both? <laughs> Por qué no los dos, definitely. Yeah, I really like that. And I think that definitely categorizes you, you know, in all of your proper Selesnia-ness. It very much does, yes. I like it. So you had mentioned in your first card there that there was a period of time where you didn't play the game for so long. Mm -hmm. For me, I also experienced one of those periods of time where I didn't play the game, and that was during Kamigawa. Where I actually began the game was during Mirrodin and Darksteel, that old format. So my entire family learned to play at the same time back in Mirrodin. One of my young, uh, brothers was a little too young to actually learn to start playing, but my other two brothers did learn to start playing along with my stepdad and my mom. Each of us took a different color. My mom started playing blue, my oldest brother started playing white, my stepdad took black, my other brother took green, and I got red, if you can imagine it. I know, I like necromancy, I don't play too much red, but that is actually where I started. And the first deck that I picked up was a Darksteel deck called Master Blaster, if you can imagine it. They used to name magic card decks like that, which was pretty fun. And the card that I remember most from that particular deck was the card Grab the Reins, which as I understand it was pretty popular in its own limited format back in Mirrodin. Grab the Reins is three and a red for an instant that says choose one. Until end of turn, you gain control of target creature and it gains haste. Or, sacrifice a creature and grab the reins deals damage equal to that creature's power to target creature or player. And you can entwine it for two and a red, and you get to choose both. So this was a really nice, diverse spell that, you know, allowed you to take someone's creature and then fling it at them, or at one of their creatures. It was an amazing two-for-one spell if you had enough mana. 
I just remember this being a really big important piece of that deck, but sadly I also remember not being able to use it very well because I was only like 12. I'm just I'm still trying to remember the last time I even saw that card. <laughs> it's been a minute. It it has definitely been a minute. I've seen it twice recently. The guys in the Brother Warcast just posted it today on Twitter as an underplayed card of theirs, and I'm running it in my crash deck. Oh, yeah, because of all of the fling. That actually yeah. totally makes sense. Take someone else's stuff at instant speed, no less, and then you can use it to throw it at someone. It's a really cool card. There's a lot of dynamicism to it. I just, you know, wasn't necessarily able to take control of it, and I think that it was... Uh, Kind of a good throwback to when I first started, because I remember as a red player basically just being jealous of all of the stuff that everyone else was doing. So grab the reins, let me kind of take their spotlight for just a moment. Yeah, I like it. That's a good pick. Yeah. All right, Dana, what's your first card? So I'm going to start out with a commander, and that would be Glissa the Traitor out of the uh, New Phyrexia block. And the reason I am picking Glissa... Number one, she's one of the original commanders I have that's still stuck around. But I, I would say she's kind of representative of what my thought process is when I pick a commander for a deck. You know, she's relatively easy to cast and she's relatively efficient. And when I look at the card and read it, I can see what I want the deck to do. And that's a pretty big deal for me. I want to look at the commander and I want to then visualize a really cohesive, unique thing I'm going to make happen with that commander. There's a lot of cool commanders out there that I look at and I don't know what I would do with them or I don't know how I would make that deck that was a thing that's unique to me. And so then I just, that doesn't interest me if I can't do that. Glissa is one that let me do that. And it was one of the first ones that let me do that, that, that kind of spelled out before me what I wanted to make that deck into, which was my Death Touch Tribal deck. And then it has a nice artifact sub-theme. Many of the artifacts with which play into that Death Touch theme nicely. So I could see kind of the whole thing there, and it's basically an encapsulation of what I want from a commander. I think that's a really good thing to note there, actually. A lot of commander is kind of building on the instinct when you first see the card. I'm not going to build a commander if it wasn't love at first sight. The commanders that I do build are the ones that I look at and I cannot help but fall in love and I have to start brewing around them. So that's a pretty good card to sort of highlight that exact aesthetic. Well, I thank you. Yeah, I, I really like Glissa. I remember when we first started writing together, Dana, um, I still had my Glissa the Trader deck together, and our, our decks were vastly different. That was always something really interesting to both of us. So, Yeah, I remember us comparing them, and like once we excluded the lands, the remaining you know 65 cards or, or 75 cards, whatever it winds up being, we had very limited overlap at that point. Like We had 10 or 11 cards that we shared yeah. besides the lands, and that was it. Pretty much, yeah. And it just shows, like, it is, I do agree, it's a very Dana card where it's it's doing something outside the what those color schemes usually do. All right, that's really cool. I'm going to move on now to the next card in my signature spellbook. I had mentioned after playing in Mirrodin, you know, my entire family learned to play and that was cool, but it didn't really grab us. And there was a slight lull there for a while until the greatness that was Ravnica. Matt, you had mentioned that Theros is what pulled you back into the game, but for me, it was definitely Ravnica, because I remember being sort of a begrudging red player, wishing that I knew how to cast better burn spells. And then a friend of mine came over and showed me the card Lightning Helix from this new thing called Boros, and I fell in love so hard. It was fantastic. And everyone knows Lightning Helix a red and a white instant deals three damage to target creature or player, and you gain three life. 
oh man, it's so good. And that really ended up fueling a whole lot of my, you know, magic escapades thereafter because I was like, this is the best thing. So I started jamming my deck full of Boros Recruits and Boros Swift Blades and things like Sunforger so that I could go get my Lightning Helix and just playing in one-on-one games. And it was a ton of fun. And that card has persisted being really, really cool to this day. Uh, yeah, I've cast many a Lightning Helix in my day and I can definitely appreciate that pick. Alrighty, Matt, what's your number seven? Number seven, so I moved on from casting unflinching courage and, and rolling over people to blowing everything up. So <laughs> when I when I finally discovered you can buy cards and you don't have to buy a whole booster pack to do it, uh, I went to a card shop and, and saw Phyrexian Obliterator, which is black, 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 black. That is four black. You heard that right. For a 5-5 five, five trampler. And it also reads, whenever a source deals damage to Phyrexian Obliterator, that source's controller sacrifices that many permanents. So this was back when we had no idea what actual removal was. We just thought it was blocking and maybe like a lightning bolt or something like that. So this card was unstoppable. Until actually one of my buddies, he discovered what Fiend Hunter does. And <laughs> it led to many, many frustrated Matt Morgan moments. I remember I kept a one lander, but it was Swamp, Dark Ritual, Dark Ritual, Phyrexian Obliterator. I went for it. And then he just happened to fiend hunter and I didn't do anything that entire game. But that sounds gross. But that, that doesn't change the fact that Phyrexian Obliterator is just one of the most fun cards. It's just over the top powerful. It stinks that it's not quite as good in commander as, as it was in 60 card formats, because I would play that all day in every black deck ever. It's such a neat take on Phyrexian Negator, which is a three-mana 5-5. Five, five. And when that one was dealt damage, you had to sacrifice the permanence. But mm-hmm. this one is your opponent's. So crazy. And sadly didn't see as much standard play as it probably should have because, you know, Dismember was a thing. But definitely a really cool card. All right, Dana, how about your number seven? My number seven pick here is a card that also I would say representative of my deck building. And that's going to be Knight's Whisper. It's a simple, clean card. It's one in a black. You draw two cards and you draw two life. It's what I most look for in a card when I want to fill holes in a deck. It's efficient. It's low to the ground. It's constantly productive. It generates value at any point in the game, whether it's turn two or turn 20. It's just always there doing that thing that you want to do. And it's just kind of a perfect role player in my spell book. And it kind of fills that brainstorm slot in that was in Jace's signature spell book where it's just a good versatile utility card that I want to put in any deck I can put it in. I think it's important to note that you chose a card like Knight's Whisper as opposed to something like Phyrexian Arena. That actually does say a lot. There are a lot of very subtle differences between the different types of black draw and drain life kind of spells. Yeah, definitely. And and I like Phyrexian Arena plenty. I'm, I'm not quite as down on it as you are, but <laughs> but it's also kind of an easy one to pick and like. Whereas I think Knight's Whisper is the kind of thing that people tend to overlook as being just a really, really useful spell. And it's the kind of thing I like is the things that get overlooked. Yeah, really, really cool. Okay, Matt, let's move on to your number six. So my number six is turning a corner when I started getting a little more competitive about the game. I really wanted to say Aether Vial here, but a couple of my buddies vetoed that and said it should be Collected Company, actually. So Collected Company is an instant for a three and a green. Look at the top six cards of your library. Put two creature cards with converted mana cost three or less from the from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. 
So this one was just a, I love creature combat, I love creature combos, and this one does both of those. And I really like cheating mana costs, which is why this and Aether Vial kind of battled for the spot. But I've played both cards in Modern to a large, large extent. But yeah, and it's just, it's a very fun card. It gets you ahead on mana value-wise, because you're paying four to usually get six mana. When you hit an Eternal Witness off of this, you just get oh, warm fuzzies. Because you just that get, sounds gross. You get it back, and then you get a Kitchen <laughs> Finks, or you get a Knight of Autumn, or something cool. So, yeah, it's it's always a load of fun. There's a little bit of randomness to it, which I know some people don't like, but I just... Casting Collected Company has led to just so many, like, hold-your-breath moments, and I don't think I would change anything about the card. Randomness is fine when it is, you know, also met with value. Definitely. Alrighty, my number six card is going to be another uh, installment from the original Ravnica block. After I was going through Boros for a while, eventually Guild Pact came out, and then I saw the card Niv-Mizzet, the Firemind, who let me deal damage to people whenever I drew cards. And being the burgeoning player that I was, I was like amazed by this. I didn't have to spend spells to burn my opponents. That that sounded perfect. Niv-Mizzet was definitely characteristic, but that's not the spell that I think actually best categorizes my style of play during that time period. The actual thing that I think really categorized it was the spell, well, the enchantment, Mind Moil. That's four and a red for an enchantment that says whenever you play a spell, you put the cards in your hand on the bottom of your library in any order, then draw that many cards. This was actually printed in the very first Ravnica set, but it wasn't until Guild Pact came out that I realized that it was going to be amazing. And that was one of those level up moments for me where I, you know, understood that the people at Wizards of the Coast are like actually good at their jobs and they plant seeds throughout the entire sets for things that are going to be coming up for payoffs in the future. So then as soon as niv came out, I went digging for all these Mind Moils and it was a great combination made in heaven where every time I cast a spell with my niv out, Mind Moil would shuffle all the cards away and then draw me a bunch of new cards, dealing damage all around. And it was a ton of fun. Now I have another card that I need to find room for, niv for myself. (laughs) <laughs> it's a kind of a neat one. And I have seen a, a couple of folks who use, uh, instead of Niv-Mizzet in any of his different iterations, they'll use Arjun the Shifting Flame because Arjun is enchantment mind moil as a commander. And so there are a couple of different takes on that where you, you, you know, want to focus on is your payoff just to the drawing cards and you'll have a ton of different triggers based on that, or should your payoff be the Niv-Mizzet damage triggers? There's a lot of nice versatility there. And Arjun is kind of overlooked, but I think there's a pretty nice build where you could make that the priority uh, all of the drawing cards and cycling rather than just the damage from Niv-Mizzet or just the tokens from Locust God there's a lot of options in Is It and Mind Moil is definitely one of the originators of it yeah and it's just generally a interesting card too if you are looking for combos too I mean there's, there's a lot of different utility for a card that card and I think it actually I think it might not see enough play in Commander yeah only currently in a little over 2000 decks it's really really interesting Alrighty, Dana, let's move on to your next card. My next card is Triangle of War, which is a card I run in my Glyph of the Trader deck. It's old and bad, so I'm going to read it here. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a one-mana artifact, and for two mana, you can sacrifice it, choose a target creature you control, and target creature an opponent controls, and each of those creatures fight. It's terrible. It is really bad. It, 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 <laughs> it's it's really a, bad. It's in 135 decks on EDH Rack, and it probably shouldn't be in 100 of those 135. However, in my Glyph of the Traitor Death Touch deck, where every creature has Death Touch, 
I can just pick a creature with larger power and toughness and use it as a repeatable way to kill someone else's creature. And then because Glissa brings back an artifact when a creature dies, it comes back to my hand, at which point I can recast it and use it again. It, it's a card I love, um, and I love it for a lot of reasons. Not only is it good in that deck, but the reason it's in the spellbook is because it's the kind of thing I like a lot as a card, with me, which is it's bad everywhere else except for in this one really weird narrow deck that I have built. <laughs> well, folks, you heard it here first. Dana's signature spellbook is full of cards that are old and bad. Yeah, to a degree, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and if I'm being honest about that, part of the reason I, I like that kind of card is it lets me show off a little bit. It lets me show off that I, that I first of all, know this old bad card exists, and I found a way to make it work really, really well in my particular deck. So to a degree, <laughs> it's a show-off card, and if I'm being honest, I might as well admit that. And what better place for a show-off card than in a signature spellbook? <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay, Matt, I think it's your turn now for your number five. So my number five is when I took all my competitive nature and turned it into commander. So it's Narset Enlightened Master. So this one, pretty much everybody knows, but I'll read it anyway. It's three and just guy colors. So blue, red, white for a three, two first strike hex proof. Whenever Narset Enlightened Master attacks, exile the top four cards of your library until end of turn. You may cast non-creatures cards exiled with Narset this turn without paying their mana costs. So this was when my buddies and I, we'd get together and we just bump uglies. We just play stupid overpowered commanders against each other. And whoever got to blow up the world pretty much, uh, they they won. It was the days of Carador versus Narset versus Vile Smasher versus Mizzix. And uh, like the, the Slump Buster decks that I talked about before, Narset was that deck for me. Uh, I took all the turns. I played Solitaire. It was fun for a spell. It was a little repetitive, but Narset was that first like, it was the first deck that I really took time to dig through and started using EDH rec to find what's going to be the best in this because I wanted this to be the best deck in my playgroup. I still had my other decks that weren't as good, but Narset was the first baby, I guess, uh, type of deck that I had. Yeah, I remember looking at Narset when she was first uh, spoiled, when she first came up on the preview sites. And um, I remember looking at her and saying, I don't know, is this actually good? And then uh -huh. immediately finding out that, yes, yes, she is. Hexproof commanders are indeed quite good. And free spells are darn powerful. Have you ever cast a Karn and an Ugin and a Time Stretch at the same time? Because <laughs> I have. And it was yeah. crazy. Yeah, I, I, I will fully admit my reaction was the same as Joey's where I read it and said, oh, okay, well, that's an expensive card. And I guess it gets some free stuff and who cares? And then at some point I looked at it closer and was like, oh, 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 dear <laughs> oh, God. Dear. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that's um, that's pretty rough. I think it's because we're kind of green-black players, though, Dana. We just couldn't appreciate the Jeskai value. I guess, yeah. See, I, I love cheating mana costs. And as soon as it said without paying their mana costs, I was like, oh, this, yep, right, yep, there we go. And then not long after it was, oh, yeah, Narset's busted, guys. <laughs> All right, Dana, what's your number five card? My next card is chosen mostly because I think the name of the card best represents my role on this cast, and that's Overwhelming Intellect. Now, let me... Hmm. I'm, I'm uh, kidding. That's a contentious pick. I'm I actually, kidding. That was another card I'm trying to find room for in Niv-Mizzet. However, I did pick Overwhelming Intellect because I think it's a really good card, 
And similarly to um, the previous card, which is Triangle of War, this is a kind of, if I, I admit, a bit of a show-off card. I like it, and I think it's it's good. And the reason it's in the spellbook is I think it's kind of misunderstood by a lot of people. People assume it's a counterspell that lets you draw cards, and it's not. It's a terrible counterspell. It's a really, really good draw spell that hits somebody else's tempo. And if you think of it in terms of that, and you play with it in, in those terms, it becomes a really, really good card. So if you're just looking around the table and you're like, oh, man, that it, like you don't need to draw a ton of cards with it for it to be good. If you hit somebody's wood elves and draw three man at three cards and hit them for a creature and keep them from getting a land, that's almost always worth it. That's still better than Blue Sun Zenith at the same mana cost. And there's plenty of times you can hit someone's Elish Norn or hit someone's Raxamundar and draw a fistful of cards. It's, it's a card I like because... I think it's good. I think most people don't know how good it is. And I always like to play those kinds of cards and decks that make me feel smart. I can't disagree. What I like there, actually, is that you've mentioned here's a counterspell that isn't necessarily filling up a counterspell slot in your deck. I think that is a pretty important thing to acknowledge about one's own sense of deck building. Yeah, I, I, think, I think so as well. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Matt, does it make you feel uncomfortable to see blue counter spells on Dana's list instead of all of the green white cards that we know you like? I don't know. I I just had a blue and and red card on there, so that's I true. Think, I think yeah. we're all, all showing off our uh, our range, if you will. <laughs> Alrighty, let's move on now to my number five card. After Ravnica, I moved into the awesomeness that was Time Spiral set. I flirted around with the Simic color combination for a bit after playing around with it because I enjoyed the card Saito Shape. I thought it was kind of neat how it interacted with graft creatures, but that's not the card that makes my list. After all of that, after dealing with, you know, Red and then Boros and then it and then Simic for a little bit, I realized I had not at all played with the color black and I kind of wanted to try it because there was this really cool creature named Corlash that came out in Future Sight and he got bigger equal to the number of swamps you control. But that wasn't the only thing that got bigger equal to the number of swamps you control. There was also this really cool instant called Tendrils of Corruption that came out in Time Spiral. Three and a black for an instant that deals X damage to target creature and you gain X life where X is the number of swamps you control. That became my go-to FNM deck for a long time. Mono black, core lash. I had things like Phyrexian Arena to keep the mono black control alive and thriving. And Tendrils of Corruption meant that no one could kill me because I had way too much life and they had no creatures. And man, once I started playing black decks, it was hard to go anywhere else. The value was just too strong. And you've remained that black necromantic <laughs> mage to this very day. I mean, frankly, yeah, the Tendrils of Corruption is where I started to get corrupted. I haven't deviated too far away from black ever since I was playing that deck. It's easily become my favorite color to play in Magic. Okay, Dana, let's throw it back to you for your number four card. Sure. We're going to continue on the uh, trend I have here where I talk about cards that represent either how I play or how I build or how I evaluate deck building. So 
Sudden spoiling is another card I think that is the kind of thing I like to see in a card. It's really, really versatile. It can do a bunch of different things. And again, it lets me show off that I can be clever at times. I mean, I've probably won a dozen or more different games with sudden spoiling, and I'm not sure any of them were me utilizing it in the same way. I think it's a it's a fantastic card, and I like that it gets better the more creative you are as a player. So sudden spoiling, that's the three mana time spiral instant, turns all creatures target player controls into zero twos, and it has split seconds so they can't do anything. Yes. So you know I've used it before when someone goes to do a Wrath, a one-sided Wrath of God when they have Avacyn Archangel out, and I'm able to sudden spoiling to get rid of Avacyn. I've used it before one time when someone went to kill the table with a Pestilence Demon and a Cabal Coffers. They tapped their coffers to, you know, use as much mana to kill everyone, and I'm sudden spoiling to make Pestilence Demon no longer have that ability. It, it, there's just a bunch of times, you know, whether you use it to knock flyers out of the air for an alpha strike or someone's blockers are in place that are going to kill your creatures, you can turn them into, you know, zero twos. There's a, just a billion things you can use it for, and I, I've tried to do as many as possible, and I will continue to do so. I have a really tough time not putting it in any black deck for that reason. I think that's quite fair. That's, I mean, I just talked about my affinity for black cards now, and that's a very powerful one. Yeah, I've, I've been blown up by that card many times with, you know, how many creatures I like to play, as you all know. Yeah, I, I don't like seeing that card because it usually doesn't end well for me. <laughs> so what's next from you, Matt? So next up, I have one. Uh, the first legacy deck that I ever built. I actually have a story behind this one, and, and my next two go hand in hand. But this one, I actually, I've been on a, not really a crusade, but this card isn't as good for Commander as a lot of people think it is because of its reputation and legacy. That card is Brainstorm. <laughs> <laughs> so Brainstorm, one blue mana for an instant. Draw three cards, then put two cards from your hand on top of your library in any order. So I'm just going to tell a story because this was the number one response from all of my buddies in Missouri that they said that this card, because you're a clown and this card is too good. So we I was in the finals of a legacy IQ. It's a star city games event to go to the invitational out in Virginia, big money pot for first place. And my buddy, Michael Thorrington, I'll give you the, the props, but he and I were playing in the finals. He was playing Grixis Delver with the death, right? Shamans and all that kind of fun stuff. And I was playing infect. So dumb old Matt Morgan plays a turn one glistener elf. And is like, okay, this is good. I have force of will backup. So I pass the turn. He plays a death, right? Shaman. I was like, okay, that's fine. It's a blocker. So I untap draw and I draw berserk and I have an, inf I have invigorate in hand. So invigorate plus berserk is basically an instant kill with infect. So yes. I, I swing, I take glistener elf into the red zone and he blocks. Well, without thinking I go invigorate berserk and he's like, okay, because that's only eight infect because death right shaman blocks. So I kind of looked around and I'm like, I'm so stupid. I did not learn to count. And I just forgot that he learned or that he blocked. So luckily I had brainstorm in hand and I brainstormed into another invigorate, which just happened to win me the game Ooh. because I brainstormed, put my cards back invigorated. He tried to counter it and I forced his, his counter spell back which really I should not have won. Like it, it was just embarrassing how bad it was. 
because everybody around me, my, a couple of my other buddies, as soon as they saw me brainstorm and saw the invigorate there, they just walked off. They were so <laughs> upset. So brainstorm, the, the story is that's my $250 brainstorm because that was how much first place got over second place in, in cash Ooh. payout. So as much as I love that story because it's embarrassing for me and my buddy Michael, he, he just kind of melted because he knew exactly what happened too. Because he's, he's a very, very good legacy player. But it was just very funny because all my buddies were like, you had no business doing that. And that's just how powerful Brainstorm is in, in Legacy. Uh, like I said, it, we've had conversations here about how it's good, but not it's not a staple that everybody wants to say it is, uh, at least for Commander. But for Legacy, it's one of the most fun things ever, and I have a very, very good story to show for it. That's really, really awesome. But you, I think you're right to say, you mentioned it before that we've talked about it, but yeah, Brainstorm has a lot less of the applications as it has in Legacy than in Commander. In Commander, you lose a whole lot of the things that make it so wonderful in Legacy. You don't have nearly the same access to things like fetch lands. Those are near constant in Legacy, and we've got a very few amount of them here. And another really cool thing about Brainstorm and Legacy is that it allows you to do things like be defensive with your spells, like using Brainstorm to hide cards in response to a Thoughtseize, which isn't really something that happens here as much. So yeah, really cool spell, and I, uh, I like that it allowed you to oops into a win. I definitely oopsed. It was the biggest oops of my magic career, and my rightfully so, my buddies do not let me live it down. <laughs> that's uh that's really awesome i'm glad that it ended up working out well for you in that situation that's a really cool entry uh i yeah i gotta love it Alrighty, next up on my signature spellbook, my card number four this is where the necromancy began i had been playing around with my mono black Corlash deck really enjoying have a bunch of swamps having a bunch of mana being able to play whatever i wanted and then at one of the fnms i encountered someone who was playing the card dread return and man joey has never been the same since so dread return two black black for a sorcery that returns target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield seems pretty innocuous you know something like zombify except it has flashback for the cost of sacrificing three creatures this guy did something that I had never seen before. My 14-year-old brain, or however old I was, I was just completely boggled by it. He was dredging, which was not a thing I knew about really at the time. I'd kind of ignored all of the dredge cards when I was busy playing Boros. He dredged things like Stinkweed Imps and Golgari Thugs and whatnot, and got a bunch of Narcomoebas into play. And he got a bunch of Bridge from Below into his graveyard, which is an enchantment that only works while it's in the graveyard, and gives you zombies whenever... It's controllers, creatures, go to their graveyard. I was like, I don't understand what's going on here, but this guy has some narcomoebas, and then maybe, I don't think this is going to be a problem. But then he also got a dread return, flashbacked by sacrificing his narcomoebas, and he targeted the card Flamekin Zealot. Bridge from below triggered, seeing all of those Narcomoebas go to the graveyard. He had like three of them, so he got a bajillion zombies. Flamekin Zealot enters the battlefield, which gives your team plus one, plus one in haste when it enters the battlefield. And this guy played a Boros card in his black-blue deck and attacked me for like 28 out of nowhere, and I didn't know how to compute. I couldn't take it. 
but I knew that I had to see his deck list. And before we got to game two, I was like, sir, you need to write all of those cards down for me, especially that <laughs> dread return thing right there. And that is exactly what I started doing afterwards. No more playing fair magic. Matt, you mentioned that you like cheating spells. So do I. I like not having to pay for things. And dread return is the reason why. Dread return is a very good reason too. That that whole deck is just, there's there's so much going on. Oh, yeah. And then I also realized that, you know, things like Acroma Angel of Wrath, it only has actual protection while it's in play. So I could target the Acroma in my graveyard because it didn't have protection from black while it was dead. So I was just dredging stuff into my graveyard and putting it right into play without having to pay retail. It was disgusting and it was beautiful. And that's when Joey legally changed his middle name to as a necromancer myself. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Okay, Matt, let's throw it back to you. What is your number three? So my number three goes hand in hand with my number two, or my number four, I guess. Uh, It is Glistener Elf. That card, I just, I played it so much. I love doing it. This one actually is, it's a little bit better in Commander than Brainstorm. uh, Because it gets, it ends games, which is cool because as we've talked about several times on several different episodes, games got to end sometimes, guys. And Glistener Elf just does that. It's, it, in I fact, think you're going to get a lot of flack for saying that Glistener Elf is better than Brainstorm in Commander. I stand by it. I will stand by that. But either way, Glistener Elf, just I've played it in dang near any format that I can in, in Modern Legacy and Commander. And it's just a, a very fun card. And my Brainstorm story would not have happened without Glistener Elf being just the very, very powerful card it is. So I think Glistener Elf has to make it onto my spellbook. Wow. I mean, good old, good-hearted, good-natured, salt-to-the-earth Matt Morgan advertising infect. Doing doing things... Well, we, we talked about cheating mana costs, so we may as well just cheat life life totals, too. So yeah. You are a mean, yeah. mean man, Mr. Morgan. Oh, there it is. Hey, Dana it said is. it this episode. I love it. <laughs> All right, Dana, what's your next card? So I've talked about a few cards that represent my you know deck-building philosophy or card evaluation philosophy along the way. I'm going to go with one now that probably best represents my play style in EDH. And it's also a card I happen to like, and that's Sylvan Library. And, and the things about Sylvan Library that probably most, most represent how I play Commander is it lets me draw cards, and it lets me have a complete and absolute disregard for my life total. <laughs> I mean, as an example, this happened, I think, two weeks ago in a game where I was at 12 life, and I'm like, yeah. I can probably draw both of those two off Sylvan Library, one of which was a Knight's Whisper, and then I said, well, let's just see what happens with Knight's Whisper now. That tends to be how I play Commander in terms of drawing cards and in terms of losing life. I just, uh, as long as I still have one life, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Uh, if it was a NASCAR race, I want to have no gas in the tank when I cross the finish line. If I win the game and I'm at more than one life, that was resources I wasted. Yeah, that's a very black philosophy per the game. I am super on board with it. Sylvan Library is the most non-green green card. <laughs> yeah, that that hundred percent should be a black card, or or maybe Golgari. But yeah, that's a totally a strange green card. But I love it, and I think it 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 kind of shows how I tend to play Commander. Living life on the edge, you mean? Absolutely. Doing things in green that green shouldn't have been done to begin with. <laughs> right, the col- exactly, right. The color pie didn't matter in nineteen ninety three. 
Oh man, that's really great. Okay, my next card is up, my number three. So I'm going to be moving from Dread Return into, you guessed it, more necromancy. It wasn't until around Future Sight or Show that I was actually introduced to the idea of Commander. So this is where I finally start putting Commander cards onto my signature spellbook because it took a while. Honestly, when I was first introduced to the Commander format, I gotta confess, I didn't think it was very interesting. I didn't like it very much. I preferred my one-on-one -on -one magic. I was more content with reviving my creatures because my Dread Return was, you know, kind of easier to do when it was only against one person. If I had a single Acroma in a five-player game, I didn't think I was going to be able to win that. But if I had a single Acroma against a single opponent, they weren't going to be able to do anything about that at all. So I just didn't think that Commander was for me. But then they made the Commander 2011 product. And then I saw Carador. Now, Carador was really cool, and I liked that he said that I could get creatures back from my graveyard. That's what I was up to. And I did end up buying that deck, but honestly, he forced me to pay the mana costs for the creatures in the graveyard because he can cast them, you know, one a turn for me. And I was like, ah, I actually don't know if this is exactly what I want to do. And a friend of mine who had bought the Devour for Power Mimeoplasm deck, he was like, well, I'm more interested in Gave Guru of Spores, so how about we just swap straight across, which we did. And in the Mimeoplasm deck, there was the spell Living Death. Three black, black sorcery. Each player exiles all creature cards from their graveyard, then sacrifices all creatures they control, and then put all the cards exiled this way back onto the battlefield. Basically, that's a complicated way of saying switch the stuff in your graveyard for the stuff on the battlefield. And that was just delicious, because now my Dread Return was even more potent and could stand up to multiplayer games, and I could get a bunch of Enter the Battlefield effects all at once, and it was amazing. So Living Death, that is my number three card, because it is my favorite way to necromancy. I can completely see that from you, Joey. That makes that makes absolute sense. And had you outsourced us naming a card, that would have been one of the ones I would have assumed you were picking. Oh yeah, when I play Modern, guess which deck I'm playing. Hint, it's Living End. Yeah, this is definitely one of my favorites. I love the massiveness of it, but I also love the inversion of it. It's not just a huge thing on terms of like scale, but it also is a board wipe too, which can really save my bacon. So yeah, totally love this spell. Yeah, Matt, that's very joy. Let's move on to your number three. So my number three is probably the most simple and basic, if you will, because it's back to basics. <laughs> Non-basic lands don't untap. Gross, 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 Easy gross. Easy peasy. And it's all just, yeah, it's done. What are all these blue cards doing on your mist, on your list, Mr. Selesnia? I don't understand. I know. Well, give it a second. Just give <laughs> it a second. But my, my back to basics, I, I've always been a big proponent of playing more basics in your commander decks anyways. I know it's, it's hard and it's really tempting not to, but I love punishing people for doing that. And I've also played it in many games in Legacy. Uh, I played Stoneblade. That was a, another deck that I, I really, really enjoyed for a long time. But yeah, it, it, it was a blue deck that I played. But I, I really actually think it's, especially now that it's much, much cheaper than it used to be, I think that more people should be giving it a look in blue decks for Commander. Because uh, it's, yeah. I mean, if, it, if Blood Moon is a fair card, Certainly back to basics can be a, a fair card too. But yeah I, I, yeah, I love land destruction. I wanted to say Armageddon, but that's a little too mean. I want to give them a <laughs> chance at least to, to cast a couple two mana spells. But yeah, back to basics. It's probably one of my favorite land destruction spells because it's one that you can get around. 
Yeah, I do like that. I've I've said it before, um, you know, aghast, and I pretend to be all in awe about stuff like this. But I do think that Blood Moon, despite all of the awfulness that it can produce, punishing people for their hubris for playing too many non-basics, I think is perfectly fair. That's something that I do a whole lot in my games, not punishing people for it. I mean, being the person with the hubris, I have a lot of non-basics. And it serves me right if I'm not prepared for people to attack me on that specific angle. You know, yeah. I tend to agree as well. You, I, I, I never feel like a back to basics or even Blood Moon is unfair. I always kind of feel like, yeah, I deserve that. And you always do. You know it. So I'm glad you guys <laughs> are in, in that acceptance phase of your of your faults. So, But yeah, back um, to basics. I know it's blue. I know it's two out of three of my last cards have been blue. Um, but back to basics, I, I just love it. I think it's a good good way to, to punish people. It's not unbeatable by any means. But it's just, yeah, it's a backhanded way to tell people to build your decks better. Alrighty, we're on to the number two card for our signature spellbooks. Next is a pretty interesting turn of events in mine. I've been doing a whole bunch with necromancy to this point, and to be honest, I think that a lot of my deck building for many years was focused just on the necromancy stuff. The cards, the, the things that I was building were largely stuff like Mimeoplasm or Lazav, which like to mill people out and become copies of dead creatures, and then Marin as well. I really dabbled in a lot of necromancy for maybe a little bit too long, I'm not entirely sure. But then I think the next level up moment for me really when I was playing around in Commander was when I started trying out Group Hug. I feel like that was actually one of the biggest moments for me because it forced me to completely reevaluate the game that I had been playing up until that point. And to represent that, my number two card is Reigns of Power. Two blue blue, an instant that says you untap all creatures you control and all creatures target opponent controls. And then you two switch creatures, you gain control of each other's creatures until end of turn, and they gain haste until end of turn as well. This was something that came in the Kaneos and Tiro deck, and I think it was one of the first times where I realized that I could try attacking the game in a different way, and Group Hug was a really fun experiment for that, where I don't know how I'm going to win, but I have to constantly stay on my feet and adjust my game plan accordingly. Reigns of Power, I think, is a really great kind of metaphor for it because it's the type of thing that to win with you really have to build around it sometimes you can oops into an insurrection win but a reigns of power you have to make sure that you don't have stuff but that someone else does which means you have to sculpt your entire game plan towards making sure that you can have a game ending reigns of power without the person that you're going to reigns of power realizing what you're doing you can't wrath the board and you can't be too obvious about giving them too many creatures if that's what you're doing it's very dynamic it can even be used as kind of a fog to save your own life in certain instances, that is definitely one of the coolest cards in the group hug take that I started uh, utilizing in Commander, and I think it represents one of my uh, newest philosophies while playing Commander. It's a really big level up moment for me, so despite Dana's grievances for my entry of a group hug card on the list, that is going to make my number two. My biggest complaint is it doesn't have a foil. <laughs> is that true? Yeah. There's no foil reigns there of power? There's no foil reigns of power. Because it was like Tempest and really old. Oh, yeah. That is not a thing that I ever would have observed. Are you saying, Dana, that if they print a foil Reigns of Power, you'd consider playing Group Hug? I would not say that. <laughs> However, I like Reigns of Power. I think it's a good card. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm delighted to hear it. So I would run it I, I would run it outside of that. I actually have it in one deck currently, I think. I just wish I had a foil. Because it's a good-looking card. The original art is fantastic. 
Yeah, it's a good looking card, but I also, the way that it looks is also the type of thing that I really appreciate about it. To be perfectly frank, when I was in my heyday of necromancy, I don't think I ever would have glanced twice at Reigns of Power if it was in someone else's deck. It's the type of thing, and many of the group hug, you know, type of uh, cards that I end up playing, they're not the cards that other people will think can actually win the game. People look at Treacherous Terrain and they're like, ah, oh, you know, maybe I'll take eight damage from this, but it turns out Treacherous Terrain could be my win condition, and the plan is to cast it eight times over the course of the game, which will inevitably kill you, or different dynamics like that. So Reigns of Power represents a, a, a whole lot of different variable win conditions that I have to very cleverly build around without anyone realizing what I'm up to, and I just think that's a really fun way to play, and that's why it's my number two. I mean, it also, worst case, it's a fog. If someone's yeah. attacking you, I mean, we're, so I, I'm a fan of the card because it also has a lot of versatility. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we found a slight common ground there, Dana, which I appreciate. So what's your number two? So I've talked about a lot of cards here that kind of represent my card evaluation strategies and my, my thought process behind building decks, things I like that if you've read my articles and know tend to be about finding these real small incremental advantages. And I kind of like to look at the math about evaluating a card and how good it really is for a deck. However, my uh, number two card here throws that all out the window because it's a card that I run in almost all my decks that really isn't very good or at least isn't worth running in any of your decks, and that's Reliquary Tower. It's just probably not worth a slot if you want to evaluate what it brings to the average game. However, it's a safety blanket for me. It is that stuffed animal that you hide in your sleeping bag at that junior high sleepover and hope nobody notices. It <laughs> just makes me feel good when I have it out, knowing I never have to worry about discarding when I do some kind of a big, greedy, overwhelming intellect or sacrifice some giant creature in, I mean, in Den deck to a greater good. It just feels so nice and warm and cozy knowing I can hold all of those cards and even if mathematically maybe it isn't worth a slot, I do not care. It is still staying in almost all of my decks. So why that's particularly relevant in addition to the fact that I like the card a lot is I understand completely the fact that people have pet cards or cards they love. The main thing I tend to rail against when I do like my In the Margins article, for example, is people that don't understand when a card isn't good, using Matt's Brainstorm for an example. I think Matt understands people who maybe like Brainstorm and just want to run it. He probably just gets frustrated at people who think it's great. Yes, that's 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 a good example, yeah. I, I understand, like, having emotional attachment to cards. That's one thing I will never fault people for. It's thinking that they're leveling up when really they're, they don't fully understand what's going on. So, yes, I, I totally get that sentiment. And that's for sure my Reliquary Tower inclusion here. It's to show that if you just love a card, I completely get running your deck or running cards of that in your deck that just make you feel good. They're just fun. If, if you know that going in and that's why you're running it, I completely get it. And this, and this is my version of that. So... It's the type of card that you play even when, as unfortunately many people tend to do, you don't have a bunch of ways to actually draw cards. Let's be frank. I'm not running decks that don't have a bunch of ways to draw cards. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Uh, well, you know, I just want to make sure, you know, when you say that it's a bit overrated, I know that you've challenged it in the past, but you know, that everyone understands basically what you're trying to communicate there, that the colorless source can actually be a, a bigger impediment than it seems. You know, there are very few slots for non-basics, especially when monsters like Matt exist who play back to <laughs> right. basics and prevent them from untapping. I do. But you know, there is a cost there that maybe not everyone realizes that they're paying necessarily. And you should really be taking advantage of the infinite hand size if you're going to be conscientiously yeah. moving towards like, that. If you're playing mono white or boros in particular, you are never going to need a reliquary tower. Right. So, right. but it's just one of those things that even in decks, like, because the logic would be well, even if you are drawing up to eight or nine cards, you probably should build your deck in a way that the best seven cards are still going to be enough to get you there. And, mm-hmm. I, and I don't disagree with that. I think even in like a deck that tends to have a lot of draw baked in, I, I understand that logic. I just like holding them all. So, <laughs> so, so Dana, what do you think is a higher number? The amount of people that brainstorm lock themselves in Commander or the people that mana screw themselves in Commander because of Reliquary Tower? I, I bet Reliquary Tower, well, I mean, it's, it's no Temple of the False God, but I Ooh, bet that's true. <laughs> I bet Reliquary Tower probably even outnumbers the amount of brainstorm locks. Oh, I'd probably push back against that. I think that people get brainstorm locked more often than they do get color screwed with a Reliquary Tower. Could be. It'd be interesting if we could ever get data. Yeah, on for that, sure. But that's a that's pretty entertaining, and I like it. I mean, I don't like Reliquary Tower. I run it in very few of my own decks because I like discarding because I'm a necromantic oh, sure. monster. But you know, alrighty, let's move on to Matt's number two. Where did my number two? Let's not move on to <laughs> Matt's number two. I forgot about that. <laughs> All right, let's... how about you hit us with your number one then, Matt? My apologies. So my number one, my foil, if you will. Uh, oh. Is this not our foil? This is the card that you'd put foil in your signature spellbook? This is the card I would put foil in my signature spellbook. Alrighty. So, the, probably, Dana said Reliquary Towers is his card that he kind of cuddles at night, you know, lonely <laughs> lonely house, nobody's at home, the dog's being, you know, antisocial, so he cuddles a Reliquary Tower. Rishkar's expertise is that card for me. <laughs> I oh, knew we were going to get something green. Oh I knew it. Oh my gosh. I, like... <sighs> I remember the first time I resolved this card. It was in my Angry Omnath deck. And I think I drew seven because I had a Fido Titan in play for some reason. So drawing seven cards and I cast, I don't even remember what, I think it was a Perilous Forays. I, oh, the, the, the value. I don't know if I can really communicate that feeling of just joy and just, I, I think I actually had to walk away from the table for a second just to catch my breath. <laughs> It was so wonderful. And yeah, just the the amount of value, cheating mana costs, you cannot let that spell resolve ever. And so I think everything that I love to do in Commander, that big, over-the-top, crazy effects, this Rishkar's expertise sums up my approach to Commander perfectly. It's big, expensive, it draws you a lot of cards, it casts free spells, it cheats. It is so, so good. Yeah, and that's honestly, Rishkar's is so good that you could frankly draw like two or three cards off of it, and it's still amazing. Yeah, but the, yeah, the fact that you get to cast a spell for free no matter how much you draw, it's it's so good. I love it. It, it yeah. Bees Knees. The Bees Knees is what this spell is. 
Yeah, that I think is a classic Matt Morgan entry, and I totally appreciate why that would be the card that you would make foil in your list. The most important feature for Matt Morgan. I think that's probably, if I, if Dana and I were trying to come up with a list for you, then uh, yeah, that's got to be one. If that, you've uh, listened to maybe, your- yeah, if you've listened to three episodes of this podcast, you would know that I love <laughs> Rishkar's expertise. Alrighty, well, my number one card is also a green spell. I've mentioned before that I like death, but I also like lands. And you know what I like more than both lands and death? That's land death. I have a lot of different avenues, and for a while I was considering making the uh, the card that I saved for number one, I was considering making it Crucible of Worlds, because it kind of harkens back to when I was first playing in the Mirrodin block along with like Fifth Dawn and Darksteel. But they also have, you know, Ramanap Excavator, which does basically the same thing. And those are great, but they're gradual. They're not exactly the type of big, swingy EDH play that I really like to see. They're great when you're doing stuff with your Titania or your Gitrog because you're playing stuff from your graveyard, but I don't just want to play one or two lands from my graveyard. I want to play all of them. So my final entry is Splendid Reclamation. Three and a green sorcery, return all land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. This is so many landfall triggers. It's It gives you a stomachache. It's... So good. And I love filling my graveyard. And then I love putting all the lands back out. I mean, this is a spell that I will sometimes try and include in my Marin and Mimeoplasm decks just because of the amount of value you can get by having a big graveyard. I'm currently, my baby deck right now tends to be my Windgrace deck because I get to play with graveyards and I get a bunch of lands. That's sort of where I'm at in my particular commander career, which is why for my chronological spellbook, this is number one. But, oh, it's just... Big green spells. Matt, we definitely, we're on the same vibe here. I, They're just so much I fun. can definitely appreciate a Splendid Reclamation, especially when you have an amulet to figure out and you then cast your Rishkar's expertise. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Do you mean an amulet of vigor and then your Splendid Reclamation? Yeah, well, you... You said Rishkar's expertise. Well, then you cast your Rishkar's expertise because you untapped your lands with the amulet of ah, vigor off the Splendid now Reclamation. I'm following. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of gross stuff that can happen, and it's delightful when it's happening for you. Oh, definitely. Dana, pick some, I, like, blue card now or something. I don't care. Yeah, Dana, what's your final pick? My final pick is also a green card. Yes. Whoa! And it's 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 also going to be the foil. And it, <laughs> of course it and is. And it's going to do kind of double duty here as both kind of the thesis statement for myself as a deck builder and as a writer for EDH Rec, and... It's doing one for the community at large who I think really want this card available in the signature spell book at the local game store for a reasonable price, and they want it in foil. So I'm doing this for myself, and I'm doing it for all of you out there. And that is three visits. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I honestly should have seen this coming. Three visits, for those who don't know, is a card from Portal Three Kingdoms. And it's just a reprint of nature's lore. But it's a $75 reprint of nature's lore because the only printing is a Portal Three Kingdoms version and there's no foil in existence. And I think the reason it represents, you know, kind of my my deck building and my article series is because it's that one tiny, small, incremental upgrade over rampant growth in a deck that you might, if you're a crazy person, pay an extra $75 to get. So... That's why I like it. I like those little tiny nudge upgrades in a deck, and 
I want it to be available for the average person out there for a much more reasonable cost, and I want it in foil. See, with your buildup, I was thinking you're going to say nature's lore, but this works too. <laughs> I think, can anyone else hear that? The song Shiny playing from Moana <laughs> whenever Dana busts out one of his decks and he only wants things shiny and foil. Yeah, okay. I mean, fair enough, but that's just, that. It, feel, it feels very Dana to game the system to use this premise of a signature spellbook. <laughs> To try and pretend that a foil exists where none exists so that you can have one. I think that's really delightful. I am a man of the people, and this is for the people as as well as myself. <laughs> can you guys guess which spell would have been my foil? I didn't actually specify when I was going through my list. Uh, well, if it's not Splendid Reclamation, I'm probably going to say Living Death. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Dana had mentioned earlier that when I was going through it, that's like a spell that he definitely would have put in my list if he'd been creating it. Totally nailed it. Living Death is so much necromancy, and it's so much value, and it's so much fun. It is It is pretty good. I, I've cast a couple, and I have enjoyed it every time as well. So, Dana, Joey, what, what are some like honorable mentions you guys think? If you know, We talk about making piles of 105, 110 cards. What are some some spells maybe that you wanted to put in here, but you couldn't quite justify over what you did. What What's some some of those hard cuts you had to make to your, your signature spell book? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, for me, I had mentioned the card Decido Shape earlier. Simic was something that I played around with when Dissension came out, and that was kind of a neat spell. Um, instead of Reigns of Power, for a short while I considered Disrupt Decorum, which goads all other creatures, uh, the ones that you don't control, and that was a neat group hug spell. Um, and then also just sort of as a troll moment, I had also considered putting Patron of the Vein onto my signature spell books, but that's just because I know the person who modeled for the artist in that one. It's like literally a friend of mine featured on the card, um, which I think is kind of neat, but it didn't really feel fair necessarily. Uh, but yeah, those are some of the spells that I was considering. That's a fun question. Dana, Matt, what about you? I like that. Uh, I had two that I kind of thought about closely. Um, the first one was Decree of Pain. Uh, and, and I had kind of considered that in, in the Reliquary Tower slot. It's one of those cards that I think Decree of Pain is, that's a lot of mana for a board wipe. But you draw so many cards, it's such a greedy card, and I love it. Um, so that's kind of a, a bit like a Reliquary Tower card for me, but I only really wanted one of those type of cards in my list, so that got bumped out there. The other one I had considered was a card that really, really early on in my EDH career, I, was, I found and was shocked that wasn't in every single blue deck, and that's Mystic Remora. Mm. But in the time since then, that card has really caught caught on, and it gets played in a lot of decks now, and it's a CEDH level staple. So I felt like, I mean, it, it was something that I I kind of found myself and thought was great early, but I think at, at this point it's it's just so heavily played that it didn't maybe feel quite hipster enough to to mention. <laughs> so so that's why that one didn't make the cut. And it would go in, it would go in your three visits slot because you don't have foil right yet. exactly. I I, I, <laughs> I actually got got it signed um, last year at, at GP Vegas, and I, I hesitate to say anything too negative, but the artist who signed it really didn't put a lot of effort or energy into his signature, so it's a very disappointing <laughs> signature on, on my Mystic Remora. That's funny. All right, Matt. Same question back at you. What are some of your honorable mentions? So some of my honorable mentions, one that I I really wanted to, to say, but I couldn't bring myself to do it, is Leovold, actually. Uh, <laughs> I, you troll. I love Leovold. I, I, I understand why, because most commander players can't be trusted with a Leovold. <laughs> I, I actually had a lot of fun with a Leovold Voltron deck, though. Um, I had like the, the Lorwyn, if this creature is blue, it gets an effect. If it's green, it gets this effect. 
I had a lot of those on Leopold, which was, I, I enjoyed it because I played half a game of typical Leopold. I was like, this is not okay. <laughs> so I scrapped that. Um, and then two other cards. Allurin is probably the most cheat mana cost of all cheat mana cost cards that I've played. Uh, and it's just creature combat or creature combo, I should say. Uh, but yeah, just flipping everything around, casting creatures for free at instant speed. It's one of my favorite things to do. And then finally, Stoneforge Mystic. Uh, going back to the Voltron days, I, I loved cheating batter skulls into play and swords and whatever and uncounterable. And I also played that next to Back to Basics in, in Legacy quite a bit. Uh, but Stoneforge Mystic is a card that I've just I've always really enjoyed playing because it's tutor and cheating mana costs, much like Aluren. If you cast Stoneforge Mystic off an Aluren, oh dear, it's too much <laughs> to think about. I can't do that. But yeah, so I th- I think those three cards are like those honorable mentions that go on the sideboard of my spellbook. That's really, really delightful. I loved this exercise. I'm glad that you guys encouraged me to actually like turn it into a show topic because I thought it was just like, oh, here's a cute thing. And it turned out to be really entertaining because I think it reveals a whole lot about the ways that we analyze the game and especially just learning sort of people's history through the game. But there are a lot of different takes that you can do when combining your own signature spellbook, you know, Going through just cards that you enjoy playing or going through a card to represent each of your decks, going through your own history, having your friends help you out, making the things that they think identify your particular flair for the game. This is a really great exercise. And listeners, I definitely hope that you give it a try too, because I think it's really, really enlightening. And with that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-host so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? You could find me on the Twitters as always. At Mathemus55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. And you can hear me on my other podcast once a week, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDHREC and the cast on Facebook and Twitter, and you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Plus, you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast, too. This podcast is posted every week on EDHREC's Community Content Spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. Happy one year, guys. Happy anniversary. Yeah, great. It's been a great, great year. Thank you guys for doing this. Remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. I am still unable to think about anything but comic sans. <laughs> you still haven't shaken that uh, visual earworm? It will be with me until I die, Dana. <laughs> that was from a legal representative. I think I think that's the most confusing part, yeah. Professionalism is in their motto. <laughs> and you know what's also just kind of like dumb about it? I'm like, that's not like a millennial. I literally just, lit- I, like, I literally just popped up in my email that I got a comment on my last In the Margins. Thing. Can you do an end of Marjorie's reliquary tower? <laughs> <laughs> funny, funny you should ask. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. 
Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.